scholars believe the Union blockade sealed the doom of the Confederacy. We'll talk about one ship that enforced that blockade after it ran the blockade, the USS Arizona, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpet cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of A Different Sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine, every Wednesday beginning at 4 p.m. right here on World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. We're talking today with the chairman and project manager of the USS Arizona Civil War Gunboat Foundation, Rob Christopher. And Rob's been telling us about the history of this vessel, born as the Arizona before the Civil War, seized by the Confederates, uh, becomes the blockade runner Caroline, and then recaptured by the Union in October 1862 and rechristened once again the Arizona. So now we've got our story up to the ship's return to the Union side. What happens next? Okay, well, the, the ship itself will be uh, in Philadelphia for, for a, a number of months, and it's uh, basically going to be repaired and refit. Uh, it's going to have uh, $27,000 worth of uh, work done on it. They'll get $27,000 for that time. And uh, basically what, they, what they, uh, they did is they put one of the most interesting things I found was that they reinforced the... Uh, out what would be the, the billet head or the bow uh, with uh, large oak timbers about um, well 12 by 12 uh, 12 inch by 12 inch timbers and then wrapped the bow with uh, with iron now this was not it was not a ram it wasn't designed as a ram but um, they did reinforce the bow for ramming uh, then what they did is they uh, they put uh, four 32 pound uh, pounders on the on the deck and then one 30-pound, and then one 12-pound, and about, and again, the bow was covered with uh, oak timbers and, and iron plating. 
all these modifications increase the tonnage from, again, 570 approximately tons up to 959 tons. So the ship became quite quite heavy. The uh, the first commander was a a young man named Daniel P. Upton. He was a a 28-year-old acting volunteer lieutenant uh, with no naval warfare experience. Now, in, in just over this past year, I've been doing a lot of history on this guy, and uh, I, th- I think it's important just to tell you that the, the history of this vessel is so colorful from the actions that it was involved in to the people that were on board, Upton being one of them. Um, interestingly enough, Daniel Upton and his brother George were in New Orleans uh, just prior to the outbreak of, of the war, and he wrote a letter to his father, who, by the way, is, is, um, is a... a George P. Upton, a, a wealthy Bostonian merchant uh, who owns uh, actually a, a shipping industry from China to California, hmm. writes to his father, and, and, this, and this, is, this gentleman was involved with uh, helping establish uh, Boston College. I mean, it, it was one of those real Boston Brahmin families. Well, Daniel writes his father and says, you know what, I think I'm going to have to side with the Confederacy in this war. If, if the war does come about... I will have to go to and support the South. And his father begged him in a number of letters to come home and so he could talk to him. Uh, Daniel kept refusing to come home because of his, his own ideology that uh, he knew people would not accept him. So he, he actually stayed down in New Orleans for a time trying to decide what he was going to do, and eventually he would, uh, he would come home and, uh, again, spend time with his father, and then he talked I guess obviously talked it through, and he did join the Union Navy. Uh, interestingly, though, as you read his letters, you can really see this this, this young man is is struggling against what he believes in his heart and what uh, what passions there are from his family in doing the quote the right thing under the Union uh, flag and government. So he's throughout his time he's struggling with this, and in fact. To a point that uh, a time later in the future he will actually desert from the Navy and and hide out until the end of the war and eventually uh, I guess his his misfortunes all catch up with him and in, in uh, 1867 he will actually commit suicide by taking strychnine. So uh, I'm actually in the in the middle of putting together the book about this young man because again he, he has such an interesting history. And that really that, that touches on something about the Civil War in general. I think a lot of people uh, sometimes are initially drawn to the study of history out of a sense of escapism, a sense of, of romanticism that the past was a more uh, clear-cut time of right and wrong, of good guys and bad guys, and in contrast to the ambiguities and gray areas we face today, wouldn't it be nice if we lived when right was right and wrong was wrong? But you just do a little research like you're doing with, with this uh, officer, and it, it becomes clear pretty quickly that uh, the ambiguities and moral dilemmas that they faced were, were easily as challenging, if not more so, than anything we have today. Absolutely, yeah. So um, so anyways, he'll take command of the vessel. I'm going to go ahead and move forward for you. Yes, please. And, um, and uh, this will be uh, March. I love this. You're gonna, again, just the ironies that fall throughout this history. March... 13th, uh, 1863, which would uh, be Friday the 13th, 
Always, yeah. <laughs> on, on Friday the 13th this past year, our guest uh, locked himself out of his car and couldn't appear on the show. So, so it's a bad. It can be. It can be troublesome. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. So the, this is when the, the Arizona actually takes active duty, um, and they're going to steam out of out of Philadelphia and head down towards the uh, to the Western Gulf Blockade Squadron. Um, the the crew itself came primarily from. Uh, well, there were 30 of the crew that came directly from Pennsylvania. There was one Georgian. Uh, two South Carolinians and, and three Virginians that were uh, U.S. born, and uh, we had a number of, of uh, men from Ireland and England. We even had a, a Prussian, mm. and uh, so a very eclectic group. They're going to uh, again, as I said, leave uh, Philadelphia, and right from the beginning, there were a number of mechanical problems with with the Arizona. Even after all the refitting, uh, in fact, Upton decides to take the Arizona directly to uh, Wilmington, Delaware, where the ship was built at Harlan and Hollingsworth to see if they could do something with the, the, the uh, machinery. Um, anyways, they they were losing time, and they had to get down to the, the Western Gulf, and so uh, they just scrapped that idea. They do the best they can and, and uh, steam on down south. And it was, In fact, it was at, the, at this time that the Arizona would uh, receive its first prize of war when... Um, when they were steaming south along the Atlantic coast around uh, Pensacola, Florida, uh, they came across a vessel called the Aurelia, and the Arizona will actually uh, take take prize of this vessel, and um, and this is one of two vessels that the Arizona will actually have uh, written down in the history as a prize of war, and uh, that will be one of Upton's positive beginnings as, as he continues his command, but from there it kind of goes downhill. So, so they got that ship before they're even on station. They're just right, on their yeah. way down there. Yeah. That, that's a pretty good haul. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's obviously a very positive beginning for, for him, as I said. Now, uh, as, as we progress, the Arizona will uh, get on back up into New Orleans, so it returns to where its, its history began uh, in, in its uh, steaming history. Um, it's basically a, at the time a communications and, uh, and transportation vessel. It's moving it's moving troops around and, uh, and just up and down the Mississippi River. Its tributaries, uh, the Atchafalaya River, uh, which was uh, the, one of the major cities at the time, there was uh, was called Brasher City, now called Morgan City. Uh, so it steamed all over, just doing these odds and ends at the time. And, uh, Let me interrupt you. You mentioned it's been refitted with these heavy guns. It's almost doubled its displacement, mm-hmm. so it can't be nearly as fast as it used to be. No, no. So it couldn't catch itself, basically. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be, be a good point there, yeah. So it's being used for other kinds of duties and running down blockade runners. Right, yeah, absolutely correct. Okay. Yeah, it, really, it really didn't serve a whole lot of time as a blockade uh, vessel. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and as as the ship came into its own as part of the Western Gulf Blockade Squadron, uh, the assets were were obvious. Um, in one particular case, uh, if we move forward into the history, the Arizona will uh, in in uh, April of uh, 1863 will go to the Atchafalaya River, which for those folks that don't know the geography, it's it's just west of the Mississippi River. It's a very a, a fairly large river, very navigable. Uh, and he was the Arizona steams up 
the Atafalaya and meets the, the Estrella and Clifton, um, this is all part of a, a, a campaign to um, to take control of, of some western lands of Louisiana, uh, particularly there was a, a Fort Bisland was in the area, and uh, Union troops were, were going to uh, try and capture that fort. Anyways, the Arizona gets into an area called Indian Bend, uh, where there's a famous, well, today famous plantation called Madame Porter's Plantation, which exists today, and if anyone ever gets into Franklin, Louisiana, they should definitely take the opportunity to visit Madame Porter's Plantation. It's absolutely beautiful. You can do the tours. So the Arizona lands its its, uh, troops there at Madame Porter's Plantation, and at that point, the Arizona continues steaming up the Atchafalaya River into what's called at that time, Grand Lake. Now, Grand Lake is, is uh, much smaller in scale today due to reclamation projects down in Louisiana. But uh, while it's there, the Arizona, the Australia, and the, uh, the Clifton come across the Mary T, the Confederate vessel transport Mary T, uh, the Grand Duke, and the Queen of the West, a former Union vessel that had been captured, and it is now a, a cotton-clad uh, Confederate gunboat, uh, river defense boat. So the the, um, the Arizona, Australia, and Clifton uh, will engage the Queen of the West. And uh, it's it's interesting again as you study this history and go through these these primary sources um, in the official record of the War of the Rebellion. It, it speaks of how the the, uh, the Clifton and the Australia really were more involved in the firing upon the uh, Queen of the West, but our our Daniel Upton of the Arizona writes in a letter home that he actually was the one that aimed the gun that set fire to the Queen of the West. Ah. It's, it's taking a little credit there that may not be deserved, but we'll see. Uh, again, time will tell on that. But uh, the the Queen of the West is destroyed, and it is uh, it is lost right there in Grand Lake. It, it actually would, uh, would uh, float down river a ways before uh, it would, would settle. And in fact, uh, just just a year ago, March, uh, I, I led a team out to the Atchafalaya and, and what's left of Grand Lake in an attempt to begin a, prim, a preliminary study of the area. Uh, the Queen of the West has has yet to be found, hmm. and uh, so we're hoping to uh, to take that challenge on in the near future. Now, after the Queen of the West <clears throat> hits the bar, uh, the um, the Arizona and Upton are ordered to uh, go basically remove the guns off of the Queen of the West, which was a which was a common practice at that time. And uh Upton was in charge of doing that and he did successfully complete that task as well as took on a number of of, uh, of contraband from the Queen of the West. And uh, for those that aren't aware of what that is, it's basically um, these are black slaves or or impressed individuals forced into service in the Confederate military. And uh, again the Arizona Muster roll sheet uh, documents these individuals as coming from the Queen of the West. And uh, again, those that know the history know that uh, there were some orders that came out from President Lincoln that, uh, when possible, you were to take contraband and give them jobs on board the ship. And uh, in, in a number of cases, you'll find that uh, individuals will will become landsmen uh, for for different vessels. So that was uh, the first major engagement that the Arizona would be involved in. And uh, then from there we move on, and it, the Arizona is involved in uh, uh, an engagement at, at Fort uh, Derusi, 
and uh, Fort DeRussy is, is up on the Red River, also in Louisiana. And uh, basically, again, same type of in- engagement. Uh, you have some river ships coming down from uh, defense river ships coming down from uh, the north, and the, and the Union vessels coming up from the south. And uh, they engage at Fort DeRussy. And uh, I, I must tell you that there's a there's a gentleman uh, who's been a, a, a tremendous help with some of the history of Fort DeRussy, and I don't know if you are aware of him. His name is Steve Mayhew. And uh, Steve Mayhew, basically, he runs a foundation that supports the preservation and conservation of Fort DeRussy. And, uh, again, a year ago, March, I was out there at Fort DeRussy, and, and uh, his wealth of knowledge and what he's shared has really helped us in uh, uh, developing, again, more of the history of the Arizona and uh, so, again, I encourage everyone to become a part of conservation and preservation acts through some of these small organizations like Steve or myself in uh, keeping our Civil War history uh, protected. And so it, it's, it's not a bad time to remind people that if they want to contribute to your project to the USS Arizona Civil War Gunboat Foundation, they can do so. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a phone number or a website uh, that people can, can go to to contact you if they want yeah, to help? Yeah, um, what, what I can give you here is, um, first let me give you an email address. And, Please. Uh, if you don't mind, it's ussazcwgf at msn.com. That's ussaz. C-W-G-F. G-F. It's, so that's the USS Arizona Civil War Gunboat Foundation. There it and is, Gunboat, GF, Gunboat Foundation, and it's at msn.com. Right. So if you want to contact uh, Rob and find out more about this project or see how you can help, please, uh, I do encourage listeners to do so. Mm-hmm. So we've got the gunboat now. Uh, it's fought a couple of battles. We're into 1863. Uh we're we're approaching uh, its its fate its destiny. Uh, right. What happens next? Okay. Well, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna go ahead and move forward through this. Uh, basically, what'll happen is uh, after after the engagement with the uh, the Queen of the West and Fort DeRussy, uh, Daniel Lupton is going to be uh, brought before a court of inquiry, uh, asking or questioning his actions as a commanding uh, commanding officer of a vessel. Uh, basically, what we have here is a situation where he did not. Allegedly, he did not come to the aid of of uh, another Union vessel or engage the enemy, and uh, so he's brought before the court, and the court investigates it, and they determined that um, although his actions were not appropriate, it, they did not warrant him to be um, relieved of duty. He is he is reprimanded, and actually ends up getting a letter from uh, Admiral Farragut saying that you know basically I hope you learn from this lesson and don't let it happen again, type of thing. Not a good career move, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually, though, it, the Upton and the Arizona uh, continually come across problems um, or create their own problems. Um, there are a number of times, and this is this is one of the things that I found quite interesting that that Upton um, would go missing with the ship. And with the ship, with the ship, yes. Um, I've looked into. I've, I've got every day of the engineers. Uh, log from the Arizona and from the whole time of command as a Union vessel. And interestingly enough, when Upton was in command, there were questions about his whereabouts. And he had stated that he had been one place and all this other stuff had happened, but there was nowhere in the engineer's log where those days are recorded. So there are actually numerous days missing in a row 
that he says he was one place, but there's no record of it. Well, well, we will have to find out what happened to the USS Arizona. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back and find out where it is, where it went, and where it is today on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 